0: Hey, this is gonna be a world's record, I'm gonna go put on my tuxedo with my opera hat. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'll shave. (laughs) Each time we have a quarrel, it almost breaks my heart. I'm so afraid That we will have to part Each night I ask the stars above Why must I be a teenager in love? One day I feel so happy next day I feel so sad I guess I'll learn to take Must I be a teenager in love? I cried a tear For nobody but you I'll be a lonely one If you should say we're through Well, if you want to make me cry That won't be so hard to do If you should say goodbye I'll still go on loving you night i ask the stars up above why must dad be a teenager in love i cried a tear for nobody but you Say goodbye, I'll still go on loving you. Each night I ask the stars up above, Why must I be a teenager in love? Why must I be a teenager in love?
1: Um, hello everyone, or Garland Gabbers as we now call them. Um, welcome to our next episode of The Garland Gab. And we will be picking up with Judy's filmography today with her appearance in Love Fans Andy Hardy, a film which I know definitely causes a strong opinion amongst Judy fans. Um, but we'll start by introducing um, a brand new guest who's not been on the podcast before. Um, her name is Eleanor Swift and Ellie, as she likes to be known, has been a Judy fan since the age of 14, um, all because a drama teacher showed her class the first 20 minutes of singing in the rain. This starts as an interest in older Hollywood and its films, which led to Scar the TV guides for any that were being shown, which led to a viewing of Summerstock, Carly, and the start <laughs> of Judy fandom. The teaching point demonstrated by those 20 minutes of singing in the rain has long since been forgotten, but all interest generated by that moment are still part of Ellie's life today. So, welcome, Ellie. Well, thank you for having me.
0: Welcome. (laughs) Um, It's
1: lovely to have you on. Um, um, We've also got our three regulars Connor, Carly, and myself. Okay, so we'll just briefly bring it up to Judy's filmography so far. Um, we've discussed her film in overview in general, including a short. We've discussed um, Pigs and Parades, Broadway Melody. We have then discussed A Lot of not Cry and Everybody Sing. So those were all, what's say... Judy's persona was a little bit different in all of those to what we come to in Love Finds, Andy Hardy, which we'll um, touch on shortly. But her next film was a second Pair with Mickey Rooney, and this was the one where we first really, really start to see Judy's on-screen image and persona come to the fore, whether you like it or not. It is what kind of got her in the, in the hearts of, you know... Not just the American audience, but the audience around the world. Um, so she was really showcased as the girl next door, and we you know who's pining for Mickey Rooney innocent, likable, caring. And by this point as well, her acting had become a, a lot more subtle than her previous roles. Um, I'm gonna, as always, just open it up for anyone who wants to put in their opinion of Judy's image and persona that's come to the fore at this point. Everybody at once.
2: (laughs) Everyone's being
1: polite. I gave gave such a great introduction to that. that you saw all the time. We're
2: just flabbergasted. (laughs) All
1: right, tell me to go away if you want, Ellie, because I hate hate being put on the spot myself. But um, since you're our guest, would you like to chime in?
3: Sure. Um, I mean, I think so. Love Finds Andy Hardy is not my favorite film of Judy's. It wouldn't even make my top 10, maybe even not my top 20. But I do think it's a very important film in, for her career. And it is mostly because of that screen persona that we were just talking about. So prior to this, of course, she played more, I guess, brassy <laughs> characters. And now she's the good little girl next door. She's very loyal and go getter. And um, and I, I mean, Hollywood loves to pigeonhole anyway. And I think that was particularly prevalent in that particular era. Um, and audiences relate to his on-screen persona. So I think you could argue that because she was cast as this girl next door character that then sets the stage for all of her films, MGM. And it's part of the reason why she's still known and, and loved today, even by people who don't claim to be fans. They still kind of go, oh, Judy, you know?
4: I have to agree with you 110%. It's not in my top 20 <laughs> even uh, Judy films. In fact, this is the one that I watched the least. I think um, I, I watched it last night again, obviously, for this podcast, but I've only ever seen it about three or four times. And uh, But one thing that I do really like about it is the fact that, as you said, Sarah, this is kind of when she she comes into her acting abilities and wasn't this the film that um, she was really struggling with her own acting ability and Mickey came to her dressing room and they had a bit of a heart to heart and they said let's from this point forward let's not act at each other let's act with each other and that really pulled back the reins a little bit on her and made her a bit more comfortable um, toning it down. I guess with her and you can really see that um you can really see that here as betsy booth
1: definitely uh, you know
2: it's Connor? it it's funny because um love finds andy hardy actually i always had a bit of a soft spot for i think it's because um way back in the in the the oh gosh i'd say the early 2000s and i was getting Judy's movies from the U.S. on videotape. This was one of the one of the first. I think I got the Clock Girl crazy, and it could have been. This was the third one. I can't fully remember, um, that came from the U.S. to here, and I remember the great excitement the day came and all that. So I kind of watched it a lot on videotape, and I knew from reading the books and all of that beforehand that this was not her first movie with Mickey Rooney, but first most significant first, I guess with Mickey Rooney um, in the Andy Hardy um, role. Um, so I, I guess for a long time I had a soft spot for the movie, but then as we've discussed this, you know, prior to the podcast and all that, I can see then why, you know, it's not up on the the list of, of favorites for others, you know? Um, but I think she has some outstanding moments in this film, whether you don't like, uh, you know, some things we're going to talk about later. Um, But, I mean, she is... I I won't even... I can't even summarise it. I'll just... That's all I'll say for now.
5: (laughs)
1: Yeah, I'll I'll say that I'm a combination of all of yous. I've seen it a lot, Um, and I do have a soft spot. It's my favourite, Andy Hotwell. I think I do have a soft spot for debutante because you get a bit of sense in there for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I think she looks absolutely gorgeous in Life Begins for Andy Hardy. And I love how her character has developed in that. But that is probably more infuriating than this film, to be fair. Um, I um, saw this when I was must have been about 10, 11 after I had memorized Judy's filmography, which I'd spoke about before. I used to get the TV guide to check her films. And I'd already seen a few um, weeks before that, the Andy Hardy series was getting shown on a Saturday morning and they weren't showing them completely in order um, because the one I sort of came into was the Hardy's Ride High, which was a year after Love Finds. um, so I saw a, f- a few, and then Out West with the Hardys was on, which um, I think was the film after Love Finds. And then it it advertised next week. Andy gets involved with three girls, and I knew from that description it was going to be Love Finds Andy Hardy because I already knew that Judy Long Turner, and obviously we have you know Anne Rutherford as Polly Benedict as his regular girlfriends. And then, lo and behold, got the TV guide and it was on. And I was just so, so excited to see um, Judy in it. I'd read, um, I think, two books on Judy at this point. Um, The Al Diorio one, Little Girl Ross, is the one in which I memorised all the films. So it didn't give too much of a giveaway about um, the, the plot. And then I watched it and I was pretty, like, infuriated by how she was treated when I was only 10, 11. But my mum absolutely loves the Hardy films because she just finds them just easy to watch and they're just like something that we've watched together and she particularly loves love finds. And I know it's often cited as being probably the best of the Hardy series for various reasons, which I'll discuss later. It, so because of it also reminds me of my mum, I've got a soft spot for it in that sense. But as an actual film and treatment of Judy yes i also find it really really infuriating but we will you know come on to that as we go along as i'm sure scene by scene we're all gonna have a little rant <laughs> you're gonna have to shut me up
2: <laughs> i can't
4: love
1: wait for this <laughs> love it i've been dead excited for the hardy films i'm so excited for when we do life begins with andy hardy before i move on to the actual movie's plot i'll just give a little bit um, about the production background so so this, this actual film was actually, believe it or not, actually written around Judy. Um, even though a role isn't that big, it is quite important. But she actually really, nearly, almost never made it because she had a car accident. Um, she had this on, I just checked the date, it was May something she had had the car accident and she suffered, um, I think it was three fractured rings? I
5: think
1: three, so, yeah. Three, three fractured lungs. Um, a punctured lung um was this. There was one other bruised, something was uh, there? Her back, sprained back,
3: sprained back.
1: Back. back. That was it. Um, so she really never, she almost never made it. But by early June, which was was have been about two, two and a half weeks later, she um had she spent two weeks on the film. She pre recorded the songs and she filmed all her scenes. So later on, Judy was often called unreliable. <laughs> <laughs> That is the most professional thing I've ever heard. What do you think about that?
2: It's crazy, isn't it? And it's just like it's, it's another example, I guess, of like you know she was a child at this point, and this is what MGM, you know, like leaving aside anything else, she'd been in a car accident, and well, well two or three weeks later, as you say, she's singing, recording songs, and her her vocals. This is what i was alluding to earlier her vocals in this film are actually incredible
5: mm-hmm. for somebody
2: so young this this one for me i think is really one where she's so starting to mature into that voice and into that performance you know uh with it so it's just it's it's i'm going to borrow a liver phrase here it's bloody shocking that that's what happened <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, especially we consider she's recording those songs a month afterwards i mean I went down a bit of a rabbit hole with the car. accident. do feel free to cut this out if you want, but I, no, no, I decided it. to go and look up how long it would take regular people to recover from this sort of thing and how soon you might be up and about. And according mm. to the NHS, uh, fractured ribs, three to six weeks, and she had three of those. Punctured lung varies, but it can take six to eight weeks. So four weeks later, she's singing and you think you're singing, you're breathing deeply. Everything's expanding. Right. Ouch.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Not only is she singing, but she's singing incredible. Yeah. Mm. 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 Wild. It's just,
2: yeah, it's just,
1: and it's never focused
2: on much in any of the books or biographies or anything. It's only, it's just skimmed over if it's mentioned.
1: I knew nothing about it till I read um, Will's Greatest Entertainer, you know, John Fripp. Mm. That was the first time, you know, I was a loser to it. So, mm mm-hmm. it's you quite
4: amazing an and um so I was re- I please correct me if I'm wrong it's been a while since I've read through this car accident but she actually I believe she crawled out of the car with obviously with all of this happening and she walked over to a phone booth to call for help while she's got you know the three broken ribs the punctured lung the sprained back like she's just and then yeah like I said two weeks later she's back she's back on the set um i just i say this almost every single podcast that we have but she was not human
1: (laughs) no definitely superhuman. Mm. um anything else on that before we move on to another little bit of a background on the production
3: i mean i do think there might be a scene or two where you can tell she's a bit sore she's not really moving she's not twisting her body but that's pure speculation, really. But it's kind of interesting to watch the film from that perspective.
1: Mm. Mm. I need to go back now and specifically look for that. Me too. Yeah, yeah. I've never actually looked for it, but... Um. Yeah, I think it's the
3: the first scene with Andy Hardy, Mickey Rooney. Um, yeah. And then there's another one later on and the, the costume's a bit weird and it looks like they almost didn't want to tie it up too tight.
2: I actually noticed in Uh, in between that dress has always been a bit peculiar looking to me and I know that you're saying it I wonder is it Mm. what like what you know the way in Easter parade Anne Miller was wearing a a a brace uh, from a, a, a broken back I wonder did she have something she must have surely I mean I bruised a rib once years ago and I know I had like kind of just bandages support she must have had something underneath those costumes yeah yeah
5: yeah
1: must have done Mm. Mm. so at least like I I know you like to have your little rant on costumes Connor at least there is a reason for that one
2: yeah because that's that in between dress I hate with a passion as well it's enough it's the one I it's the one I actually always think of um on the audio commentary for me and my shadows when Lorna Luft and the director of that are discussing that specific time period, because in Me and My Shadows, there's a little recreation of her birthday uh, party, which is meant to be on the set of Love Finds Andy Hardy. I think it's around that point. Um, They were talking about MGMs, you know, the way you're too heavy and you need to lose weight to be camera thin and all of that. And I think it was Lorna had said that really, she's never more than anything. You know, she really wasn't. And I always think of that in between scene for some reason that like, she just, that dress is so
1: unflattering, but she's not heavy in it. if that mm. makes sense. Yeah,
5: no, it makes perfect sense.
1: Mm. And that actually, actually leads me on perfectly to the next part of, um, this is like behind the scenes, really, of you sort of, even though it's already started, this is the film where you really sort of start to feel and see the issues with her image and feel an insecure um, now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was Harpo, Marx's daughter, but it might be one of the other Marsh brothers' daughters, um, found her in the toilet, um sobbing over the way she looked next to, you know, Annie and um, Lana and, um, you know, just she was going on how, like, ugly she is and she, she literally said, look at Annie and Lana Turner and, um, again, I mean, again, she's, she's 16, I find that heartbreaking. And I know we, me and Carly discussed this. We discussed in Everybody Sing, how you can, you know, she's referred to the Ugly Duckling in there. Um, You can start to see a teenage beauty come about in like the first scene and Everybody Sing. I really start to see a blossom in Love Finds, Andy Hardy, really do. I can start to see changes in her face and the eyes and the shots. Um. So again, um, any... Any, and anyone would want to ask for like what she was feeling behind the scenes even though I know she did have fun she had fun with Mickey and everything you know this was quite difficult for her in that sense
4: well it's no wonder that she's that she's feeling that way um regarding her co-stars when she's seeing Lana and Anne Rutherford and she's being cast as the girl that the girl next door that nobody wants all the men look elsewhere Um, And when she was at, uh, when she was going through um, the costume and makeup department and whatnot, they were deconstructing her appearance piece by piece, telling her everything that's wrong with it. Um, While she's 15 years old, that there is going to set the precedent for how she's going to feel going forward no matter what. And um, yeah, it's just, it's it's terribly sad especially considering like she really is blossoming here though a lot of those um, those up close shots of her it's just they just absolutely melt me (laughs) and Mm. and it doesn't help that she's being cast as a 12 13 year old girl but she's 15 16 years old (laughs) when she filmed this (laughs) so oh
2: god you know what I could I can I can forgive the the casting her slightly younger because I, I i do get that they weren't quite sure what direction to go with her i i can forgive that in in one way what i can't forgive is given the, the given her those lines to say yeah. i'll never be able to get a man much less hold him no glamour no glamour at all fuck off you're absolutely <laughs> sorry we have to cut that no i'll uh, keep it if you want i don't mind When she's in the her gown at the end for the party scene and again i know she's meant to be a little bit younger than she actually is in it or whatever but she's stunning in that gown and i actually quite like that gown it's one of the better costumes for her in this one
1: one of the best frillies
2: yeah one of the best of the frilly ones do
1: you know what else gets me though is i find it especially nowadays um I think it's a little bit disgusting and a bit sick that a, a 12, 13 year old is supposed to feel glamorous, isn't it? Yeah. Twelve thirteen year old supposed to be natural,
5: mm-hmm.
1: cute. Um, but yet again, I can understand it. Again, the young cast, and because obviously that's what led to Dorothy, because she did. She had a she had an angel face, and she she looked innocent. She looked young at this point. So, but anyway, Ellie, have you got anything to add on that?
3: Ah, not really. I mean, it, it, it's heartbreaking, really. Which when you know it's not just a line, it's it's kind of the way that they felt about her. Mm-hmm. And to know that she mm-hmm. ended up feeling like that, even at that age, um, about herself. It is it is hard to see her do scenes like that. Whereas I think if it was just another actor doing it,
4: and I knew they had no problem with their self-image, go ahead, say that line, but for Judy, it's just a bit. Sad. So, I... Love Finds Andy Hardy was one of the first films I watched after The Wizard of Oz um, and and knowing her as Dorothy. And I always thought that Dorothy was one of the most beautiful girls I had ever seen. I was just absolutely enamored <laughs> with Dorothy. And then to see, uh, to see Love Finds Andy Hardy right after that, and she, I mean, she did Love Finds Andy Hardy pretty much right before she did The Wizard of Oz. So she looks very much like Dorothy. And then I, I just, I remember my first reaction when I saw her sing uh, the In Between song. And she's saying things like, hide your face behind a screen. You shouldn't be heard. You shouldn't be, or you, yeah, you shouldn't be seen. Mm-hmm. I was just dumbfounded and when I watched this it was before I had really read much about her so I didn't really know that this was the the the, an issue back then I didn't know that they were casting her as ugly duckling characters I didn't know that you know she had that kind of issue with the studio and I just I thought that was just the most horrible thing I had ever heard.
2: I agree Mm. and like we we might leave a link in the description later on but we all three of us watched a reaction video to somebody watching the Wizard of Oz for the very first time um a a fantastic girl called Ashley and it's a millennial she's her channel is that she's a millennial did I say it right millennial watching classic movies for the first time and she watched the wizard of oz for the very first time and her first reaction on that close-up prior to over the rainbow was oh my god she's so pretty yeah yeah cheers mm.
1: so uh, a brief overview of the film's plot before we move on to judy's scene by scene breakdown is um Mickey's um, regular girlfriend, Polly Benedict, is being taken away by her grandmother for Christmas, so he has no date for the Christmas Eve dance. His best friend, Beesy is also going away and is scared that his girlfriend, Cynthia, is gonna, you know, cheat on him basically. He, so he pays Mickey um, $8 to date it up to keep the other guys away. The reason Mickey wants the $8 is because he's also put a down payment on a car and he owes another $8 by the 23rd of December. Um, also in the meantime, Mickey's own grandma is, has had a stroke and is really sick and his, his mum and his mom and Aunt Millie have gone to be with her. And then during this time, I've visited A girl called Betty Booth, played by Judy, is next door. She is the daughter of a famous Broadway musical comedy star. And they're quite rich, but for some reason, you know, their their grandparents live in Carville next door for Andy Hardy for some unexplained reason. I don't know why, (laughs) because Betty Booth's obviously come from a very different background to Andy Hardy, which is another little rant I've got. But even before she's met Andy Hardy, she's got a crush on him. Yeah, I suppose he's a bit of an um, in the good old summertime theme going on there because her grandma's been writing about him, saying how he's the nicest boy in the neighbourhood. So basically, um, in the end, Polly is able to come back for the dance. So he ends up having two girls. And then he gets rid of Polly his regular girlfriends which is so nice of him then BZ writes and says he's fell in love with an, another girl he can have Cynthia and doesn't pay the money which again is his a great best mate isn't he this is great they're all great to each other and um, then he has a bit of an issue whether he can get his car or not but his, his dad forgives him then gives him the car blah blah blah, blah. and he has no dates, but he does have his car. And then Betty Booth comes and writes to Mum, who sends her an even address. And she comes and saves the day, saves the day in every, every way. In this film, which we'll go through scene by scene, he takes her to the dance, but he's still not interested in her romantically. He basically, you know, he's just happy for us to like help him non stop, and then just ignore her for the rest of it. So basically, that is the plot. But what I what I noticed again watching it again in this day and age is it's a little bit sexist. I don't know whether you notice this. Um, when the mum goes away, Judge Hardy says, um, we used to having a woman look after us, so Marion then has to look after, after them. Then there's the whole thing with the cook. You know, he's been wanting a cook, but doesn't want to offend the mother. The mother's been wanting to get a cook, but it's scared he'll miss cooking. Yeah, don't stop me. And then there's the whole, like, I think... Cynthia's character, Lana Turner's character, is actually given just as rotten treatment as duties, but in a different way. So she's like, you know, she's the like the, the the sex bomb because she's this glamorous type. Her personality is just dead and she's so fussy and she's so shallow. So it's more or less kind of saying you've got you can't be both. You've got to be one or the other. So, again, any opinions on the plot before we break it down? I'm sorry for that big waffle I've just done.
2: the funniest thing uh, one of the funniest things i've always thought with this and forgive me now because i can't remember the amounts um how much does andy owe on his car or how much is andy's car is it like twenty dollars
1: it's twenty dollars he's paid twelve dollars and he owes another eight
2: and am i right that um betsy's mom gives her twenty dollars like spending money for, for extras or whatever because I remember the first time I saw this, uh, or almost the first time, and I was kind of like, okay, I get it's 1937, 1938, or whatever. So the price of a second hand car is $20. Okay, we we'll live with that. But Betsy's mother just gives her the price of a car for spending money.
4: <laughs> That's like someone giving you $12,000 to yeah. spend today. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> and, she's, I mean, and, she, and she she spends it all as well. Yeah. She's always buying. She oh, she's me.
4: A, oh, she's got a 60 cents
1: left at the end <laughs> yeah. yeah i just want to pawn a fur jacket and stuff or um,
2: yeah i mean i i know we're in different countries here between us all but like i i i'm allowing for the fact that andy's car is a bit of a fixer-upper car that he's going to do or whatever but like here i would say something like that you're talking in and around a thousand uh euro, my currency, would it be the same in England and Canada for something fixy uppy or would it be a bit more, a bit less? I'd probably say I, it'd
4: be about four thousand.
2: Okay. Here.
1: Yeah. I think it depends on the car. It could be a bit less what you think, Ali? Yeah,
3: say
1: so it depends um, on the model and you,
3: the condition, I guess.
5: You, okay. you
1: can get a fixy for a few hundreds so. okay. But it's so still a lot, you know.
2: It's still yeah, so like that's her spending money. <laughs>
1: For the 13-year-old. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Um, Anything else?
2: I love the character as well of the, um, I know she's only got a little small part in it, but the cook that comes in, um, I guess she's meant to be comic relief or something like that. And I just love the scene with her and uh, Marion and she's like that's mud that coffee it's mud <laughs> <I> just...
5: <laughs>
1: and, they're like, and they she's don't... there go on and they're like you don't want to hurt Marion's feelings I'm like oh come on Some... do you know what someone doesn't like the coffee I make oh fair enough go make your own in future <laughs>
2: <laughs> and Marion floating around with her ears and Grace has being going of course we're used to the very best here I'm like alright Carol yeah, right, girl.
5: <laughs> yeah. So...
1: So anything else on the plot before we break judy's scenes down i think just okay just the overall plot is
4: just flat out ridiculous <laughs> i'm sorry to say but it is just it is ridiculous um so andy hardy he's like an american gigolo now all (laughs) of a sudden like he's being paid to take out this girl who is now falling absolutely madly in love with him and really wants him and Mm -hmm. he's this big goofball and then he's got another girlfriend that he's crazy about and then he has Betsy Booth is crazy about him and it is just like what is going on (laughs) and I mean okay Andy Hardy is not I'm really sorry to say that, but he is not a likable character. So to see him being like, you know, have having all three women just, you know, falling over him, it's a little bit unrealistic.
2: <laughs> I mean, let's yeah. face it, Mickey Rooney wasn't exactly Brad Pitt or Tyrone Power or, no. you know, one. Of, it is a bit far-fetched that he's like meant to be this ultimate desirable man in, in, in Carvel.
4: <laughs> yeah and yeah, he, maybe there's not
2: much choice in Carvel I do know
4: and he's just he's so full of himself too like he's not shocked at all that he's got these three women after him and oh my gosh uh also I got some uh like it kind of reminded me a bit of 10 things I hate about you <laughs> <Not for> those <laughs> 90s comedy fans out there him being paid to take out the girl yeah it kind of reminded me of that but anyway yeah, I, eight
5: bits.
1: I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I I found that whole pain thing a little bit, you know, a bit like he's a, you know, a bit of a. What did I say to use on the chat last night? He's a nineteen-thirties innocent teenage um, male escort, but basically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway,
2: uh, at no rant. Rant. <laughs> And how do we know that Cynthia was, wasn't was going to wait for BZ in the first place? We're just assuming exactly.
1: that. <laughs> they give her, because obviously she's obviously considered the, you know, the, you know, the one all the men want. She presumes he's, she's not going to be loyal. But uh, but BZ's got issues there, hasn't he? He's insecure, jealousy
5: Trust, issues. Trust
1: He's going to be stalking his girlfriends. Uh, that's what I mean. I think her character's given a really... Really terrible thing. Thing. What? What am, I, what am I trying to say? Treatment. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Treatment. Yeah.
2: I mean, I know we're going to go through the scene, scene by scene, but there's a very sweet scene between Lana Turner and Judy. I think it is quite sweet. Um, you know, uh, it, like yeah, it could. She could have been written better. I mean, at least in Ziegfeld Girl, there's a bit more to her character.
1: Yeah, and despite what people say about the rivalry, um, Judy and Lana Turner were actually really good friends. Yeah,
5: I was for their lives,
1: they lived next door to each other. She was at Judy's funeral. She was really upset. So, despite what happens with Artie Shore and everything, they were like the fact that she wanted to look like Lana, and, and Lana's openly admitted that she was a swapped hair beauty for Judy's talent. Mm-hmm. They they really liked each other.
2: And I think Liza and Lana's daughter were were friendly as well. Um, I've often seen in more recent years Liza on a chat show or something and they'd ask about her growing up in Hollywood and the neighbours and she'd say, oh yeah, well next door to Mama there was Lana Turner, there was Humphrey Bogart, but she just keeps referencing Lana Turner. So I I think, you know, there's obviously a family friendship there.
1: I liked the little joke Judy made when she was living next door. Say so she'd she'd nip over to borrow a cup of glamour every now and, <laughs> and again.
2: I liked um, Judy's quip. The talk to Lana was like talking to a beautiful vase.
5: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I assume that was meant kindly, like you know, between friends, like.
1: Yeah, it was during the Arty Shaw era, wasn't it? So, it was. yeah. yeah. <laughs> It'd be taken
4: both ways. <laughs>
1: yeah. so, I think sorry, but...
4: Shaw actually said something very similar too. That mm. Lana Turner is not someone you hold a conversation with. She's someone you put on display or something like that. Something really weird.
1: But anyway. I think that's, that's actually quite horrible to her because it's objectifying her, really. Yeah. So, mm. I'm going to stick up for her here. <laughs> I know she, does, she does get a bit of a bad rap, so is there anything you want to ask about the plot, Ellie?
3: Not really. I, th- I think you've covered it all. Um, okay. I mean, yeah I agree. I, I don't get why everyone's into Andy Hardy. There's that one scene uh, with Anne Rutherford when they've gone for that walk through the woods. I'm like, how old is he meant to be? He's swinging hands and like skipping.
5: Oh
1: yes. Oh yeah. Oh Yeah. But no, that whole, like, and then he grabs her and kisses her in the, you know, in the woods. And, um, oh, oh.
5: Hello. Oh, <laughs> Aww. Hello. Aww. Yeah. Uh, that's
2: lovely. Oh, you,
5: know, you doing? Stick <laughs> <laughs> your bum in my
1: face. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you said he's like, he's, he's meant to be 15, isn't he, Andy, in this? And he's like, am um, sorry, I'm just getting the script off that thing as well. Where he like goes,
5: Woo!
1: after she kisses him on the cheek. I mean, being kissing, and hugging, and kissing since we were what, like twelve or something like that. That's an exaggeration, but he's honestly. Well.
2: I think it was probably. Sorry, Ellie. Go ahead.
3: I just said he he acts like he's younger than Betsy. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> I I wonder if it's like. Um... You know, Mr. coming from Mr. Mayor's thing for the kind of like wholesome American films that like it's just meant to be a little kiss on the cheek is. <laughs> I, <don't know.
5: laughs>
1: I think as well, um, Carl, you just said he's not very likable, but he's not when you look back now. But the funny thing is, is that they actually deliberately tried to make him likable in the scripts. <laughs> Yep. Fun. It's so funny, and then Betsy Booth is so likable without even trying. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing I I said I had to say about the plot is I Mickey's mean, not really nice to Polly, is he? Really, in general, he like cheats on it every single film. But then at the same time, he's like going through a thing where he's like, it's, it's hit and miss whether his nan's gonna survive for Christmas. You know, that's quite stressful. Um, heartbreak and heartbreaking um, and and I know he does like piss Polly off with the whole sympathy thing so she's got every right to be cruel to him. But Betty's the only one who's actually supportive or even mentions his grandma being on un- unwell. You don't even get him um, when he goes to see Polly you don't get her saying well I'm I'm really mad but how's your grandma? How's your grandma? Sorry to hear about her but still you know you're a gigolo mm-hmm. You don't get it's like kind of like that side of things, the grandma plot doesn't exist.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. true.
1: Yeah. Mm. So, anyway, should we go by the scene, um, scene by scene breakdown? <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah, some of them, again, like everybody sing, I've clumped in together. But we're first introduced to Judy. She drives up and meets Judge Hardy, who is walking past his um, door. And despite the fact that she's now, what, 13? She asked where number seven is, which is right next door, obviously. And she must never, ever have visited her grandmother before in all these 13 years, because she's asking where she lives. That's her first little, you know, plot point. (laughs) But anyway, but regarding, I mean, I just, how sweet is she in this scene? I'm going to open it up. Can we
4: talk about the foreshadowing in this scene? Yeah, (laughs) go on. I'm going to be on the stage.
5: (laughs) (laughs) There's always bits of
4: foreshadowing in every single one of her films. It's weird.
3: (laughs) I think my first thing is that I hadn't seen it in a long time, but when I watched it again for this and she sounds so young. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if she's doing it slightly deliberately because she's playing younger, but she sounds so sweet. and I also love it's it's, a, it's not really a character thing; it's a Judy thing. But she always plays with so whatever's in her hands, so like her bag, the car window, and then later on, like a chair and stuff. I always like looking out for that. <laughs> smile.
1: It's
4: a trademark oh. Judy Judy move.
1: <laughs> I think um, if you hear Judy, you know, like on radio during this period and off off film, her voice is a bit different. I think. And it was even like a few years before when she first signed, I think she is probably making her voice sound a bit younger because it does sound younger than this than say say the likes of full thoroughbred so Cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, little observation. So I think she might have been. I know she said nobody's directors as much, but I do think it might have been a bit of a direction or an artist of choice by herself. <clears throat>
4: I always found that even throughout her later, uh, her later MGM career, she she did have a screen voice. Like if you hear her on uh, some of those MGM recordings that the the outtakes, and when she's talking, she sounds different than when mm-hmm. she's on screen. I mean, I'm sure all actors do though as part of their persona.
2: Yeah, and MGM had a whole sort of <clears throat> speech and language, like, coaching thing as well, didn't they? So mm-hmm. she could have been taught that that's the way to to, to talk on screen, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then any more opinions on this very first brief scene, apart from it's the fact just- that
5: it's
2: just very cute I think she's just it's adorable in a way like I mean I know it's so silly and all of that it's like oh is Andy Hardy yours but it's just it's way she does she like it she we've said this before on the podcast like she has the ability of taking a song or like just material in general that is dire and making it believable and good so it's always (laughs) a credit to her you know
1: So her next scene is um, where she first meets Andy Hardy. Prior to this, there's a conversation with Andy's family and Judge Hardy asks them for a favour and says, can you take um, the preservatives next door? And he mentions um, a new playmate for him. (laughs) And then Andy gets excited, Oh, oh, a new girl, you know, because he's obviously a gigolo. And And then when she eats, first things he asks is how old is she and then when he says like 12 or 13 which isn't that much younger than 15 to be fair it's ridiculous You would think he was about like 20 odd and he's like oh just a child so and and a child calling betty a child but then he goes so he goes over and she of course answers the door to him and this is where we get like really sweet scene again i love some of the close-ups of judy in this and then he kind of like pays no interest in it, and this, and then this is where she walks away and says that famous line that Connor quoted before. I'll never be able to get a man, much less hold him. Well, one, you're only thirteen, so you don't be wanting a man. You won't. You shouldn't be having a man love for a start. <laughs> off. So you've got the rest of your life ahead of you. And three, you don't need glamour to get a man anyway. But then she says, "No glamour. That's my trouble. No glamour at all." And then she walks to the window, and um, sees that he's, he's he's gone because BZ's taken them to you know do the Cynthia business. And um, she she asks, um thingy comes to the door. Marion gone, and she says, "No, he's gone down the streets. But if um, the car isn't done, he'll catch you." And this is where Judy gets the idea, obviously, to so have the car clean, but think this is one of my favourite close-ups in the whole film, where you can see her getting the idea and she sort of like a big eyes look up, so we go from a saying, I've got no glamour at all to this amazing close-up But um, again, that's I've just put those three little sections in one so, please discuss
4: I love the part when she goes I sing, you know,
6: and like that <laughs> little face of hers, <laughs> oh god <laughs> I <laughs> I sing, you know. I, I know, I heard you.
3: <laughs> I thought it oh. might be been a hangover from like her earlier characters because that's the kind of way they would say it and that's the kind of thing they always had her say right in films. I sing or I, yeah. I can sing. Either you don't want to hear
5: me? <laughs> <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> Understatement of the year.
2: I saw this scene, I think I saw it long before I actually saw the, the full film because one Christmas here, um, all three that's entertainment films were on um telly um and that scene is in the first that's entertainment just kind of trunctured about a little bit like um so yeah i, I don't have a huge amount to say on this it's just i suppose it's setting up the betsy booth character when it, it opens with her singing scales and the piano and she's the whole i sing you know and all of that like and i agree with you say it's 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 lovely to see the Beautiful close-up of her towards you know at the end with it. And I don't mind the costume either.
1: (laughs) So um following that scene, after Andy's gone and done his deal with both Beasy and Cynthia, he returns to find that Betty has had her chauffeur, because Betty is far too good for Carvel and Andy Hardy. I don't care what you say, (laughs) had her chauffeur clean the car. And as a thank you, he takes her to the drugstore for an ice cream soda because Betsy's from New York and she's not used to such high-class, you know, entertainment
5: and <laughs> such a, dreamy,
1: such a gentleman. and um, yeah, I love how he throws, um, just throws the biggest hint, um, we dad had our car, but it's, um, it's, it's likely to rain. Oh, uh, oh, you can use, I can have the chauffeur drive us if you want. Oh, oh yeah. Never thought of that. <laughs>
2: he's only interested in the town car that's all oh, is like
5: you know
1: exactly yeah um so again this is another scene where she's she's quite cute and he's absolutely horrible so go on watch what you think of
5: it
4: oh i just yeah i again this just goes back to andy hardy just being an unlikable character like he just right from the get-go he he just has no oh god i better stop <laughs>
3: The bit when he's dismissing Vex as a child and you know she heard it because then she says it later on um but Judy has some very cute moments I love that bit about 200 horsepower whatever it is oh my <laughs> god! <laughs> she can't about cars it's not like me um mm-hmm.
1: and yeah I'm a driver and I still don't know anything about cars and I drive <laughs>
3: um and the, the bit when Lana walks past them and she does that puffed out cheek spit and she looks Lana up and down and
2: uh, <laughs>
1: That's the other foreshadowing we always talk about that. Aim. Yeah, she pulls that face out quite a lot. I will say she does have some brilliant facial expressions in this film.
4: She always does.
1: She always <laughs>
5: does. <laughs>
3: um, and I think, oh, I also, I really love, uh, she has a line where she's talking about, I'm going to give you the 20 bucks, and she hesitates before she says bucks. Clearly Betsy does not use slang, but she really wants to impress her I quite like that.
2: I don't know if it's the director came up with that. I like that. I actually kind of like, and it's, while we're not happy with the whole Ugly Duckling presentation, Girl Next Door, of this, I do think it's slightly genius that Betsy, even though she's meant to be the younger one that Andy's not attracted to, it's genius that she's actually the posh one, coming from money, coming from, you know, a much more sophisticated background than small town, because Carvel is meant to be a small town America, isn't it? So I do think that's actually quite genius that he's not interested in her because she's too young and he's too whatever, but she's actually probably more yeah. world-wise than he is.
1: Yeah, that is, I do love that part of character, but that is also one of the things that infuriates me. Okay. Yeah, because I just think this, I mean, I mean, it is good that Andy's not attracted to wealth, the money, even mm. though he is, he is using it a fair bit throughout this. It's good that, and that he likes the small town girls. But, I mean, the kind of, like, even in Andy Hardy, my debutante they refer to Betsy as, like, a nice old-fashioned girl, you know, like your Polly Benedict's, But Betsy Booth, even though she's innocent, she's not really because of backgrounds.
5: Mm. Not that.
1: It's a bit confusing, but I do. I love the fact that she's, you know, come from like a wealthy background and she she does mm. save the day. This scene is another way. I think she has such absolutely gorgeous close-ups. I think she's absolutely gorgeous in this scene, um, especially when he says something um, about Cynthia. Something about he's not really interested in her that much romantically. It's, you know, she's about the money and she gives a little smile and she got you that you can really see her dimples yes. yeah it's mm. really cute but then he also then he changed it to Polly Benedict's my real girlfriend and then she like she looks half broken
2: I love that when she goes oh this kind of.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the range of emotion
4: on that girl's yeah. face all in the span of like <laughs> three seconds <laughs>
1: Actually, can I add something though? we go on about Judy's image and the fact she's young and she's the girl next door? And um C- Cynthia is um the glamorous one. She must have been threatening enough for Cynthia to be jealous as soon as she sees Andy with her. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what's that about? Yep. Judy's supposed yeah.
4: to be this child, right? This 12, 13-year-old child. And Cynthia is very jealous and upset when she sees Andy with her. So it's like, hello. <laughs>
3: Um, I guess a costuming point she's wearing she's got like this little crossed rifle pin Um, she wears it in the very last scene I think as well and it comes up here first apparently it was given to her it was a gift in real life when she went back to Grand Rapids somebody she used to play with as a kid gave her this this pin and that's rather nice that Judy
4: was wearing oh I didn't know that
1: that's cool that's so sweet yeah
2: yeah I remember reading that somewhere along the way as well
1: it's one of it's in one of the biographies
2: yeah which one yeah
1: So the next scene is um, Andy's been out with Cynthia and then he comes back home and Betsy calls him in and she has a lovely present for him which is probably what she's been spending all her twenty dollars or twenty bucks on because she gets him really fancy presents even though you know she gets another one for Christmas um and he like accepts this presence off it, and then starts going on about all his girls because he's horrible and that's when we're followed by the song in between I am going to start with Carly on this one I mean I've already <laughs> said quite a bit
4: about it uh yeah just um I don't really have anything else to add other than what I've already said at the beginning that just my very first reaction to hearing that song, I just, I was appalled. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that they they had her sing something like that.
1: And just you know what? A beautiful what
4: he, girl with such a strong voice. And that is what they choose to focus on.
1: Well, what's interesting about that, though, is that whole song was written by Roger Edens. Yeah. Mm. It was so important to Judy's, you know, career. And he adored her. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say bad words about Roger Edens ever, but did he think that up, or do you think he was given a kind of um what's the word?
4: He was given a direction, a,
1: a premise, yeah. like a, yeah, yeah, a premise and direction of you know what was needed, as I'm presuming.
4: Yeah. I don't think it had like the subject matter of the song, I don't think had anything to do with Roger himself. He was just told that this is the song. We need to convey this message. Go for it. (laughs) But I can't imagine how that would feel like to give someone that you're so close to that you, you know, you've been coaching, you've been developing and oh, by the way, here you go. Here's a song that you're going to sing. That is. Yeah.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: And like the other terrible thing about that is um, she recorded for Decca Records as a single mm-hmm. as well. And the mm-hmm. flip side of it was Sweet Sixteen. Um, so yeah, so like imagine that coming on the radio like or something. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't know if it did or it did, but like it probably I don't think it charted, but like imagine like that being your 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 single on the radio like in between. <laughs>
6: Fifteen thousand times a day I hear a voice within me say Hide yourself behind a screen You shouldn't be heard, you shouldn't be seen You're just an awful in-between That's what I am, an in-between It's just like smallpox quarantine I can't do this. I can't go there. I'm just a circle in a square. I don't fit in anywhere.
1: Yeah. It's heartbreaking. In the ends because she's literally like sobbing mm-hmm. as she's yeah. closing out the song. There is one see There is one part of the scene. You know that precedes it. Um, her face when. She's noticed this the lipstick on him. I get it. It's just the funniest facial expression. Does he um, say
4: it is jam or something?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> nice try, Andy.
3: Smooth, Andy. <laughs> Real smooth.
1: <laughs> uh, Andy, you need to get some table manners. <laughs> <laughs> but why? Why is he like, he's already like bragging about his girls to us? So why is he lying about that?
2: Some very strange character choices in this film, like, overall.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, there's a few little plot holes as well going on. But then her face is quite heartbroken when he, um, he's made up with the presents and he starts going, oh, um, Polly, she'll go crazy. Cindy, she'll go wild. And her face is just heartbroken. I said, I'm sure they'll like it. If I was there, I would have just said, give me that back now. <laughs> <laughs> was this the... Um...
2: The, the ornament thing for the boot for the front for the
1: the, the radiator cap of, yeah
2: the radiator cap that's it so she should have clappers him over the head with us <laughs>
1: <laughs> but he didn't even have to call by this point why didn't she just wait and give me f- I know she's trying to impress him because she's um, mm. you know got a crush on him but you know, she could just wait and give me for Christmas oh do you know what Betty you know I know Carvel's a small town but Andy's not the only person there go and take a walk. Go and find another fella, or just forget it, because you you know you don't live there. You'll be going home again after Christmas to New York, so don't bother there. Yeah. <laughs> so the next scene is a. Um, Betsy goes over to Andy's house because she's helped him so much. This is where she said she's um she's only got sixty cents left, and she's still got three presents to buy. And she's asking for his advice, but he completely, I don't know whether anyone notices this, he completely just dismisses her problem. And says, oh, I wish I could help you out, Sandy, but, you know, I've got important business to do. And that is where he gets his telegram um, about Beazie falling in love with another girl. And so he won't be sending the $8 and he can have Cynthia. And, um, what do you think about
4: that? Well, just going back to the really, you know, sexist undertones of the film, yeah. the way that uh, BZ just says, oh, I found someone else, you can have her. It's like they're talking about a trading card, not a not a person, you know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah and considering he was so scared and jealous that she'd like betray him. He did us. Oh, that's a narcissist, stuff. And this is supposed to, sorry, Sarah. And this is
4: supposed to encompass the the American, you know, person, the American, the all-American boy and the all-American girls, someone that is supposed to be relatable for the audience. And this is how they're acting and being treated. Like, come on. I mean, again, I know it's a different time, but still, like, did we not no. have feelings in 1938? <laughs>
2: Oh, definitely like I mean the the whole business of you know when um um Mrs Hardy is gone and 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 you know there's no one to cook so Marion will have to do it and then the cook coming in and all that that I can deal with because it is 1930s family values like and even you know when my nanny passed away my mum being the eldest girl like it automatically almost kind of she had to help granddad you know what I mean like that kind of I can deal with but yeah this like they're not objects lads like please
1: Is there any opinions on like Judy in this scene? I know it's only a brief scene or again Andy's treatment of her She's very supportive
3: of him, immediately forgetting her own problem and well that's really a bad scene on Judy but you
1: know what I mean So the next scene um, Andy had opened up to his dad about the mess he got himself in And to, like, pay him back, Andy goes, and in the beginning, there's a a plot point in the beginning, and always in the early days opens up in Judge Hardy's course. There's a young boy who's been sentenced to do something because he smashed um, a tractor into a fence or something like that. Uh, But Andy knows this young kid, he's only only a kid, and he... um, He's got some kinds of telecommunications, quite, you know, advanced for 1938 and they use it to um, contact the, the mum. So, but when they come home, they do find Betty asleep on the couch. Um, and this is where she sort of throws a hint. She's trying to like plan with and he, you know how to deal with the poly situation i will say before judy's scene is you know what makes me laugh talking about kids in this you know that scene it's not a scene i can watch too often because it's so boring you know where they're trying to contact mother hard oh, yeah
5: yeah
1: he says what's your name you know so the the boy on the other end and he's got a complete man's voice and he says i'm 12 years old <laughs> not the kid who's doing it the the kids on the other end is on anyone the other the, end yeah He's got, yeah, he's got an English man's voice. But yeah, they come back to find Betty asleep. And again, she's saying, trying to support Andy through something because she's the only one there. So again, Tony short scene. Anything you want to add? Oh, no, there's actually one thing that I do laugh, that does make me laugh, is um, she says, oh, Andy, what if um, Polly ends up fighting about Cynthia and Cynthia ends up finding about Polly? And he goes, "Oh, we couldn't have that; i would be ruined." And she says, um, "Oh, we couldn't have that because we." <laughs> you know? so, and I actually think, you know what? She should have just done that. You know, she should have just like anon- sent an anonymous letter to them. Yeah.
4: yeah. <laughs> oh. He had all the ammunition. She just had to pull the trigger.
5: <laughs> it'd be
2: like the equi- it'd be the you know the nineteen thirty eight equivalent of producing screenshots.
5: Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> mm.
2: Um, the thing that makes me laugh about this scene, and I don't know why it makes me laugh, but it just does. And it's Judy's line that when she wakes up and she says, oh, Marion said I could wait here. You know, she's trying to figure out the shop and she can't understand why food costs so much these days. I just, that cracks me up.
1: <laughs> want to try living nowadays? I, know, <laughs> yeah. I was going
4: to say, that's very relevant to today.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Like, Andy, you're not buying a car for $20, Pet, today.
4: Yeah. No, anything else? Mm. Betsy's just too good for him. My God, I can't to say this. At every single scene, she is too good for him.
1: <laughs> and sometimes it's as if even though he likes her and they're really, like, in your face, was the best friend he's ever had. I don't know if this is just me. My interpretation. I find, I think he sometimes, especially early on in the film, finds it a little bit of a nuisance at times. Mm. Is that just me? Mm. Yeah.
2: No, I'd be inclined to agree. It's. It, it, it does feel like he, she's a bit of a bother to him sometimes.
1: Cramping his style. Mm.
2: <laughs> you know,
5: mind and the child.
1: kid. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so Judy's next scene is that sweet one with Cynthia that Connor mentioned before. Um, it's, it's quite comical. So she pretends this, you know, junk of a car is Anzi's to try and get rid of her. It's basically just that. But she's walking at the walking along, aren't they? And she's she's going on about how she'll look gorgeous in the car. So again, she's doing Andy a favour. And I think she does actually take a bit of joy in getting rid of Cynthia, doesn't she, Betty Booth? <laughs> Oh, that yeah. evil grin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are your opinions on the scene in general? Mm. Betsy being yeah.
4: so sneaky. Yeah. And they're walking arm in arm, too, like they're the best of friends.
1: <laughs> so, um, what makes me laugh is they Betsy seeks her house, obviously, to do Andy a favor, but she's pretending she sorts her out to explain about the drugstore incident and you know she's walking hand in arm in arm with the saying oh you know i thought i'd best come and explain and you have to worry about me and cynthia's like oh yes yes which again must mean that cynthia was still a little bit troubled by betsy mm. betsy's happened to like pretend to go and explain so again what does that tell you so maybe cynthia's a bit insecure as well
4: yep yeah sees mm-hmm.
2: her as a possible rival
1: mm-hmm. I mean when
4: you're obviously she I don't think she knew obviously but when your boyfriend pays somebody else to take you out to keep the other boys away from you like <laughs> what, what would that do to your you know your self-confidence your image and anyway
1: and you know what in um, when we get to Andy Harding's debutante Beezy is still with Cynthia because he's trying to put a picture on the magazine. I don't know if you remember this.
2: I don't remember.
1: Yeah, he's, um, he's like trying to put a picture on the cover of the, the school magazine and calling her the most beautiful woman in the world. And Andy's like, no, you can't do that. And he's going, well, if she isn't, who is? So they've obviously got back together. <laughs> right. Andy like just forgave Beezy for like not sending them the money doing this deal. And we never got to find out if Cynthia ever found out and how this affected her, because as you said, that wasn't affected her. Mm. And it's not like there was no more Hardy films so you know. Um but then t-
2: Lana Turner, I don't think she's in anymore. Um, is she? Is she in any more Andy Hardy films after this one?
1: No, she's just mentioned. And mm. debutantes, but they're obviously still together here and Beasy.
5: Mm.
1: Um, because I remember reading in a book that apparently she was too big by that point to be in an Andy Hardy mm. film, Judy was too, but she was given the roles to keep the Mickey Judy fans satisfied until the next musical, basically.
5: <laughs>
1: mm. Prize of this, actually, I just um. I missed out the scene where they speak to Peter Dugan, No you know, about paying the car. And um, this is before they even find Betty asleep on the couch, I've just noticed. Because when he finds out she's not getting the money for Cynthia, they go and speak to Peter Dugan. And um, this is where she offers to pawn her fair jacket. This, this is one of my big issues about this time period. I don't like the fair, obviously animal lover but I'll leave that be Mm -hmm. and and he's like um you know you're the best friend I ever had for him that was another little sweet scene I don't know whether you want to mention that
4: well the one thing about that scene uh that's my dad's name that's my dad's full name uh Peter Dugan like and I that I just thought that was what are the odds (laughs) i mean you don't hear dugan very often it's not a terribly common name especially in the films um and then to hear his full name and um he unfortunately has passed on so it was it was yeah hearing his full name in a in a judy film that was just really cool
5: (laughs) Uh oh
1: Oh bless.
3: Yeah, I love the fact that Andy Hardy has his initials on the car. <laughs> yeah. That always makes me laugh. Yeah. Well, of course he does. He's the kind of person that would. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Definitely. Okay. So the next scene after, absolutely drives me crazy, right? Um, Betsy goes with Andy to speak to try and, you know, sort of things out with Polly. And then she, he says come with me and she's like oh I don't know whether I should because you know I don't know any of your girls Cynthia or Polly even though she has just met Cynthia and he says oh no no you can come she'll love you she just adores children as if Betty is like a three year old you know and you go oh so and so loves kids when you're basically talking about a three year old aren't you <laughs> what, what's he expecting Polly to so do put Betty on, on a knee or something like that <laughs>
4: Oh, I hate
1: honestly. that. <laughs> and as you said,
2: Sarah, like, how old are you, Andy? Twenty-five? Like I and- <laughs>
4: <laughs> Oh Lord have mercy. Oh, this had a- movie.
1: <laughs> had a face. A face when he says it as well. Wow, well, how she didn't punch him, I don't know. Sorry, I'm not mm. not not con- consuming violence or anything, honestly. But you know <laughs> we deserves a punch.
4: But a quick left upside the back of the head, I would be fine <laughs> myself.
1: <laughs> she, just, she does go with him and he, he, he leaves it in the car so she doesn't even meet Polly. So what's the point to that question? Yeah. Feels <laughs> um, like you better
5: stay. <laughs>
1: Sorry. I'm on one now. Um, and... The scene between, actually, this isn't juicy, but the scene between Andy and Polly does make me laugh because he's talking about Betty being a kid, but Polly's raging at him. And have you seen the face and the cry?
2: Oh, with that Mickey Rooney, talk, he goes,
5: Polly! yeah,
0: Polly! <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
4: <laughs> Sorry, who which which one is the child? Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, oh no. And so obviously it doesn't go well with what's her name, Polly. He comes out and Betty's like, well, and he's like, she never wants to see me again. And then Betty's just like, "Oh," But <laughs> yeah. I know she's meant to be sympathetic, but I, I like to think in my head that she's deliberately being a bit patronising to him. Oh, back. 100%. I, I do 100%. too. 100%.
2: <laughs> it's a bit too kind of like, it's like, again, it's a credit to Judy as an actress that she's able, because you can tell that it's meant to be kind of like, Oh, you
1: know, it's just yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, diddums! Poor Andy.
5: <laughs> you no <know>, oh. fault. <laughs> yeah.
1: There being a hint of the next scene when um, he finds her asleep on the couch because she says, "How long does it take for, for him a lesson to get to Chicago?" Because that's been is Chicago and back. And Andy gives the best advice of that by saying. Depends how long it takes for someone to answer. I'm sorry, Andy, but I think she meant the actual delivery times. But anyway, <laughs> that was that was, um, a bit of you know that was a bit of a foreshadow to what's to come next because Betty was already sent some trouble at this point that Andy was going to end up with no date for the Christmas Eve dance because she could already told that he was a bit of an idiot. Mm-hmm.
5: For some mm-hmm.
1: reason, for some reason, Betty likes idiots. So. <laughs> this is one of my this is one of my favourite scenes by the way um, andy has got a new car but he's sulked because he's, he's got no girl for the dance because he's you know that entitled and that shallow when he could just you know go stag as his dad says you know he might get a date there what's wrong with go and stag but, well obviously 38 you yeah, probably didn't need a date but he's sulked because he's spoiled and then um, someone turns the car lights on and then lo and behold, we have Betsy looking all grown up magically like Cinderella and glamorous.
6: Betsy, you've grown
1: up. But even though Andy says she's all grown up. To me, she still looks like she has during her whole film. She's just got like a lovely dress on because she's always looked lovely throughout the film. And Betty's come to save the day, so go on. I know <laughs> people like, have uh... got something to say on this scene, so
4: it's like that those silly you know again referencing 90s comedies like she's all that and whatnot she it's very clearly she's all she's been beautiful all along just take the ponytail out and glasses and oh magically she's just this bombshell (laughs) but I, I love this scene so much and again like this scene we really see again um Mickey and Judy's friendship and what they used to do with each other uh on screen to either make make the other laugh um when she's uh what is it that he says oh i'll shave too or something Wait, and she, she just squeals hey this is gonna be a world's record i'm gonna go put on my tuxedo and my opera hat maybe i'll shave <laughs> <laughs> and, and you can tell that that was likely an ad-libbed uh moment from mickey Because Judy genuinely seems surprised by that little addition.
1: (laughs) Mm, Definitely. The laugh was definitely, like, spontaneous. I think even John Frickey's, like, mentioned that, saying he's pretty sure that that was all pretty much improvised. Yeah. They
2: did that a lot. It's too genuine to be anything, you know.
1: And I think that's why I like this scene a lot because it's not um it's not Betty and Andy like Andy cutting Betty down. It's Mickey and Judy and their friendship, which was a lot healthier than yeah Betty and Andy's relationship. Hey, <laughs> um, okay. anything Ellie? What do you think of this scene? Uh, ah,
3: yeah, adorable. I I the first time I saw it, I was like, yes, finally a grown-up dress for her. It's not all up to here, you know. <laughs> and her laugh her laugh at the end is just beautiful um oh and apparently a we'll tidbit uh, apparently that shot of her hand turning on the lights has been used on like an album cover so, yeah, yes oh
1: yes oh all easy score that as well recently
4: i just discovered it like literally 15 minutes before signing into this podcast i saw it yeah it's on like a what was it um um, oh God! I just had the name of it. What I'm is it? Checking. Something boatmen, big uh, vulgar boatmen. <laughs> they used that on an album cover. We'll we'll post a picture in the podcast here.
1: <laughs> Do you know that um, charm bracelet she's wearing on that close up? Is that the one that Clark Gable gave her?
2: Yeah, I think it is.
1: Yeah, because that often turns up. I think. She wears that and listens on as well does she
0: i can't remember
2: I if it's there. in listen darling but it, i actually it came into my head ellie when you were talking about the the pin and I, I it was i had the picture in my head of her with the the charm bracelet after clark gable gave it to her i was like there's something about that as well and that's exactly it it's it's the one
1: yeah so following this oh actually before connor have you got anything else to add about the actual <laughs> yeah. scene
2: I just echo what everybody else said it's 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 um yeah it's the full cinderella moment and of course her laugh as, and as you said sarah it's not betsy and andy it's picky and judy and that which mm-hmm. um i just i love it
1: yeah and i agree about the dress as well because we know um particularly connor and then me a bit after connor um, we don't like a lot of the frilly dresses so MGM jen put it in but i think this one is quite complimentary to her it's really yeah. nice it's nicer than the one polly benedict wears. You know, so. in early on in the film she's she's going on to andy i was got like um, a low back and practically no sleeves well oh, Betty, yeah. betty's dresses i got a lower back and it's completely off the shoulders it's actually more revealing than polly's so the next I think this is the highlight of the film, personally, is the Christmas Eve dance. Um, So we've got the scene, put it all in one, we've got the scene where they are on the way to the dance, in the car, then we've got them arriving at the dance, then we've got Betsy Booth songs, and then we've got leading the Grand March. So talk about all of them in whatever audience want.
2: Well, I have two two things to say. Um... In, when they're driving the car and Bec, or Andy goes beep beep on the horn and Judy does something, what does she do? Because. Oh, it's
1: the rhythm. He goes. Doo, 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 doo.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You just, you just see her going. And I'm just
1: like, what is she meant to be doing? And they're roaring <laughs> loud. Can't you hear the knock? No. She does a little knock, <laughs> yeah. I must be
2: deaf as that,
1: then. Did <laughs> I you know that, that too, Ellie? Actually, Ellie, did you know that? I
3: didn't know that was meant to be happening. I thought I heard. Well, I think like, when I listened to it, I could hear something, but I couldn't have told you it was two knocks. I think it's just two. Oh. To the Horn.
1: Oh, unless I've got it wrong, we're on pretty it, and that's what it is
2: we'll have to rewatch this now and make <laughs> decisions <laughs> um, and the other thing that I love just following on from talking about the outfit or anything and again it's just one of these silly lines that I find hilarious um, that when they walk into the party and she goes I hope I don't fall over these heels are almost two inches high <laughs> <laughs> um... like, like Betsy, if you could see what Judy's spiked heels would be in the 60s, like,
5: Andrew. down. <laughs> 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 yeah, she's,
3: I don't think she actually is wearing heels at all, in that scene because of their heights. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Judy's must be just be wearing flats.
1: Um, although this is Betsy's, you know, supposedly first grown-up party. So she obviously hadn't gone to a party in New York by this point. I still think because she's a theatre kid, she must have been exposed to some kind of highbrow, you know, activity, social gatherings. Um, Andy's walking in all, you know, bragging, doing this, you know, with his cops in. This isn't, you know, on par with the shindigs we had in Washington, you know. He's t- saying this and she's from New York. Seriously, even if she'd not been to a party, I'm sure her parents had. And that Dennis fella, um, who was so much more handsome than Andy Hardy, by the way. <laughs> so these are the kinds of men she's been meeting in New York and she's got a crush on Andy, whatever. Um he's better before. Uh, he came to, she came to his apartment, I believe, didn't she? And sang signature song and everything. So I'm presuming like that was a little shindiggy kind of thing, even though it was this in the is apartment. What I
2: was- that's exactly what I was going to say, just as you were talking, like, about it being, you know, like, she's clearly been to things, like, before this.
1: Yeah, and even in, like, Andy Hodge, me Debutton, she says, oh, Andy took me to my first grown-up party. Bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I wonder, no.
2: Is, no, I wonder, is it meant to be, like, is it meant to be sort of Betsy just stroking his ego a bit?
1: i don't think that's what the intent is but that's what we can interpret yeah. it as <laughs> uh, and there's another thing that does make me laugh oh the scene in the car again i feel that scene in the car on the way there is also very much mickey and judy i guess those vibes yeah so because there was
2: um i'm sorry to keep it t- t- talking here okay. i will shut i will shut up in a second because i do think like it's entirely possible i think i read in one of the books somewhere that some of the her early mgm scripts like would just write judy does her thing here so like it's entirely possible that like they just wrote mickey and judy will do something here and just do what she want you know it's very possible <laughs>
1: Yeah, definitely. Or even if these is other scripts, I can definitely imagine them. Imagine them like, um, you know, going off, going off track. Mm. On oh, no. it. Okay. Before moving on to the songs, um, actually, I do have one more thing to point out, but I will open it up to use again. If you got anything to add before I point one other thing out. I
4: don't think so.
2: I wonder if what I'm going to say is what you were going to say.
1: Go on then. You say I don't. It. I, I,
2: I, <laughs> Polly's lying. If you mean that no, infant bro. trying to look, look grown up.
1: It's not that, but yeah, now you've mentioned that. I'm two years younger than you, Polly.
6: Yeah. <laughs> say that, that girl, one in blue. I've seen her in New York. You mean that infant trying to look grown up? Well, I don't know, but she certainly isn't in very good company.
1: i tell you what, though, as frustrating as it was for Jusie to play younger characters, um, Anne Rutherford was a lot older than the rest of them. I think she was, like, four years older than Judy, So it must have been just as, like, frustrating for her. Mm.
2: Anne Rutherford is about 20 in this, is
1: she? Yeah, she would have been, yeah. Um, No, my thing that amused me was when um I've just said his name and I've totally forgot it Dennis is his name Dennis I yeah think so
2: yeah
1: I know Dennis is in Little Nelly Kelly but his name's Dennis oh, yeah. <laughs> He comes out. he's like saying you know I recognize her and we know that Judy's wearing blue because he says yeah. and he comes over to speak to her and say excuse me aren't you Betty Booth and it just makes me howl the way Andy stands right in front with their of yeah. Hey, hey, if this guy's trying to get fresh, he's ignored her. All through the movie. And now he suddenly threatens.
6: Pardon me. Aren't you Betsy Booth? Well, yes, I am. You say, wait a minute. If
1: this guy's trying to get fresh, just say the I word. I beg
6: your pardon, sir, but I know Miss Booth. Your mother brought you to my father's apartment in New York.
1: That is a little bit of justice.
4: Yep yeah mm. and he's like he's so short compared to Dennis too and he's like <laughs> looking at, hey, come get fresh.
1: <laughs> and he's um, probably put out when she's like no I, I know him, or he's yeah. like, I
5: know him
2: <laughs> and I don't know every we're probably I might be slightly jumping the gun because it's technically more to do with the songs but it it does make me laugh as well that when he asks her to sing and he's like oh uh, uh, Bessie have you practiced enough a lot of my friends are here and then obviously when she starts singing and he's eventually there then like going
5: yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's another
4: line that completely bothered me was yeah. I haven't practiced enough because all my friends are here. Like, shut up.
6: <laughs> hey, Betsy, a lot of my friends are here. Do you, you think you've practiced enough? Nonsense, you'll be a sensation. Oh, I've always wanted you to hear me sing, Andy. <laughs> like, oh my god. What friends, by the way? Beasy's
2: your only friend.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 He's not there, <laughs> and you've lost him. I mean, there are people like as he's walking in, going "Hi Andy, Hi Andy," but they're probably just the people from school, won't they? But this is like a Christmas Eve school dance. Why is he being acting like a grown up all the way through to school dance? You know, the evidence is in the title, school dance. (laughs) Um, So anyway, that leads us into his two songs: "It Never Rains," but what a pause, and "Meet the Beast of My Heart." Go on.
3: Meet the Beat has to be the cutest song. She's ever sung. The way she performs especially bit she a bird, sing Tweet Tweet. <laughs> meet
6: the beat of my heart, meet the time and the weather, the tick, 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 holds me together. Without him beside me, I never could go on. Why do birdies sing Tweet Tweet Tweet?
1: So, so
3: adorable, and I know she's a teenager, no teenager wants to be thought of as adorable, but she really was in this.
4: I had that song stuck in my head all night last night after watching it. <laughs> I always, it's such an earworm.
2: Yeah, like again, the, the songs, unfortunately, again, have a little bit of that baby ish thing. Two of them, like you know, the teacher told us when this happens, never whine, <laughs> you know. And like, uh, but when she, when she gets going, you know that voice, like it's it. it there, it, if you just take out those bits, I like both songs a lot.
6: Teacher told us when this happens to never whine or wail. The same thing happens in life. But on a very much larger scale It never rains but what it pours If they should happen to desert you A bit of rain is never gonna hurt you So wait and the skies will be blue
1: mm. That's reflected in Anzi's reaction, isn't it? Because at the beginning of It Never Rains, but what a pause. You can see him like, you know, I'm a bit embarrassed to see her. Mm. Then when she like, she, you know, she, she launches into it, he's all like made up. Anything else on the songs before we move on to the next bit?
3: Actually, yeah. Oh. I should... Sorry, do you want to
1: confess? No, I was only going to say, apart from the fact that she steals the whole film in this moment. <laughs> oh, yeah. Go on, sorry.
3: It's something actually i i thought of when i was re-watching it the other day and then i forgot to say when we were talking about in between but it's it's kind of odd that they, they chose to go with songs that are you know in universe everybody's hearing it and then in between it's like a typical non-diagetic musical number where the orchestra is just i think that's why i've never really liked in between obviously because of the song but also it's just it's kind of jars, and i I just realized that the other day when we got to this scene, I was watching these songs and i like, oh, yeah.
1: Sorry, that was a very random thought. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's it's good com- it,
2: It's very valid because, you know, the movie of Chicago um, and, and all the musical numbers are meant to take place in Roxy's head, but on stage kind of a thing. But they caught a song that two of the characters sang not on stage like in a more traditional musical sense because of that reason that it was just a bit peculiar to have all the other songs be on stage in mm. a real setting and then like an actual singing in the rain, walking down the street singing type thing.
1: Just, this I,
3: a musical.
1: Mm. Yeah, I agree with that course in Chicago because I love Chicago, the stage show. Mm. And even, even on the stage when they're not all set in Roxy's head, you know, the setting like real time, the musical numbers, the number you're talking about is class, isn't it? Which animal yeah. and Belmer. Mm. I um always zone out at that part of the show. Mm. <laughs> My least favourite part. Um I'm kinda of glad it wasn't in the film because it's not needed, it's not necessary. And then now that you've just brought that up, it's like, yeah, it wouldn't have worked. Okay, there's another car ride home. Well, there's another car scene. This is the car ride home after the dance. But unlike the one there, this is not Mickey and Judy. This is Andy and Betty Booth. And I hate this scene. I will say why, but I don't know whether anyone else wants to talk about it or guess why I hate it. You go ahead, Sarah. <laughs>
4: We're waiting.
2: Share with the group. Share yeah. with the group. <laughs>
1: Right, Judy looks absolutely stunning with her wrap-on, right? Mm -hmm. She actually looks older at this point. She has just been the knockout of the Christmas ball. She saves Andy's beans, right? He has a great time. It's Christmas Eve, it's Christmas the next day. She's just really put herself out there. Everyone thinks he's it now thanks to Betsy because it's all about him. She's sat in the car going on about how amazing it was and she's so happy. And he is sulking because it's all about him again now and his problems. Never mind, or, you know, Betty's like, you know, just had a great time and she's also saved my bacon. He is moaning about Polly which is his own fault anyway. <laughs> yep. It's this am I I'm taken I'm not the only person who feels this way. Again,
4: this goes right back to what I said at the beginning. Andy is just not a likable character, so it's really hard to 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 find that empathy, the sympathy for his character because he's put himself in this situation. So
1: mm. And Corney even he just sort of like, I know he's obviously it's it's not nice arguing with your other half, but why is he so upset they argue everything? He's over going cheating on us, so why is he that bothers Um Connie, just forget about that for a minute and the fact I just let um Betty enjoy her sins around a Cinderella moment. Anything <laughs>
2: I think I think Carly's right. Like you know, Andy Hardy as a character is just a flawed character.
3: Ellie, mm. anything? No, not really. To add to that, it, I I agree. Andy Hardy's being a bit selfish um, at that point. That I, mm. with Andy Hardy, of course he is.
5: Then but
2: the get, the when yeah. oh sorry
1: oh uh, go on go on
2: i was gonna say like it's even in the like he's obviously we might have to cut this as well he's obviously a dickhead at home as well sometimes because sorry, my language is very colorful tonight i'm so sorry <laughs> I, <laughs> I love it by <laughs> the way when um mother hardy mrs hardy is going off and he's there like oh mom i promise i'll wash and i'll wash wash and I'll do this and I'll do that like clearly she just picks up after him the whole time going around the place
1: so anyway the next oh pause. I'm
2: sorry oh I'm so sorry just one it's more okay.
1: thing <laughs> Here's your wine. just one more thing
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love when Marion cuts him down to size um this, I can't remember what part of the point of the film it is, but she's sitting there with like her girls, and they're all talking, and she's like again doing her airs and graces. She's like, of course, such and such is not the same as when I was a girl. And Andy <laughs> comes in, and he's like, oh, <laughs> and she goes, did you enjoy your games?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Marion's quite quite a good character as a foil. I like Marion. She-
2: yeah, <laughs> I like Marion a lot. Yeah
1: um so the next day they arrive home to collect christmas to give betty a christmas present and she he passes her a christmas present which is like a big box and you never get to know what it is and i'm dying to know what a present was whether it's as good as a car radiator cap mm-hmm. and she says i'll bring yours over in the morning um which is a bit of foreshadowing she does bring us presents in the morning but we'll discuss that in a minute because it's something else and he's like, oh no, you've done you've done too much for me or already, Betsy, which is true. She yeah. has done too much. And then um, they're a little bit down because of the, the nan and the mum, which is understandable at this point. And then the mum returns home and everyone's happy. And then Betsy again, <laughs> Betsy sort of cuts them down again because she's like, Don't worry about Polly, everything will be just fine. And he, again, just goes into a complete depression after being really happy that his his mum was home and his nan's got to Merry Christmas, Betsy. Merry
0: Christmas, Andy. And don't
6: you worry about Polly. Everything's going to be just fine.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: But again, is that not just a bit like if you just had your beloved mum return home after being with her, with your nan, who was on the brink of death and finds out that they'd survived, that your euphoria and gratefulness, especially at Christmas time, would stick with you, wouldn't it? You wouldn't instantly start sulking again just because you fell out. It's horrible arguing with your partner, you do get down, but I don't think he's got any reason, especially at that age and the relationship he's got with Polly, for it to be like, oh, everything's gonna be just fine. And then he's like, oh, yeah,
5: yeah.
2: Um, it's almost like the immaturity. It's like the, it's it's because the priorities are wrong. Like, hmm. you
1: know. I tell you what is quite sweet though that close up when um they're all hugging, um Mother Hardy, and it's just a close up of Judy standing stands in the background, hmm. smiling. But then, as anyone when when she comes in and they're all hugging? I can't. I don't watch them. I watch Judy stands in the background. Does anyone else do that?
4: Always. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's really sweet, isn't it? Um, Okay, so the next scene, unless anyone's got anything else to add, is the film's closing. So again, Betsy saves the day. She goes and speaks to Polly, brings her back to see Andy, who's sitting on his castle and on Christmas morning because he's a spoiled brat, Um, and finds out that Dennis is Polly's cousin. You know, obviously it all comes together in these films, doesn't it? I just found out that he's Polly's cousin, of course. Andy, you
6: know what I just found out? I just found out that Mr. Hunt is Polly's cousin. Cousin? Yeah? Oh, well, I'm glad to
1: know you, bud. And then, again, she's saved the day, gets back with Polly, and then he says, rightly so, I don't know how to thank you, Betty, for everything you've done. And I actually do want to um, shake Betty at this point. She starts going, oh, no, thanks to Andy. I was grown up grown up for the night when, you know, like Cinderella. No, it wasn't thanks to Andy. Andy was sulking. Your mum sent you the dress between you and your mum. You thought of it together. He just happened to go with it. I just go with it. That's another film. So it's not, he didn't do anything. You saved him and you brought all your good things on yourself. So that's really infuriating.
4: Yep. It was all her that night. It was yeah. all her. It was her connection that got her on the stage. It was her evening gown. Like, oh my God.
1: She even thanks him for leading the grand march. She was asked to lead it and she chooses him. I would have pissed myself laughing if she would have gone to him. Can I leave it with you, please? You did bring me up on the stage. Yes. <laughs>
4: There needs to be another Andy Hardy. The Revenge of Betsy Booth.
1: <laughs> One good thing is Judy has the close-up of the film's closing.
5: Yes.
1: So Judy's not the star of this film, and she's not in it that much. But she is very vital, and she gets the closing shot.
4: Without Betsy Booth, this movie would be nothing. There'd be no plot. because he's the one that you know that saves the day that gets him out of the situation that yeah yeah
1: yeah she's the driving force isn't she
4: yep she carries it as always as she always does in her films
1: i don't know whether you agree with this right so we're gonna just touch a bit about the legacy of it um love finds is often considered the best of the andy hardy series Now, as someone who's seen the entire series, I do actually, I am inclined to agree because I think, one, because of Judy and obviously got Lana Turner as well, you've got two two stars because they always had a starlet in, but those two did become pretty A-list not long after. Um, The plot, even though it's ridiculous, was actually a little bit more developed than some of the other plots, believe Mm -hmm. it or not. Um, you know, there is a bit of seriousness with the, the Nan. That does give it a bit of realism. And obviously, it's got the, the three songs. And it was definitely the best up till this point. It was the most rounders, but I don't know whether the youth agree that it deserves to be given that title. Put on prejudice aside.
4: Well, I haven't seen really any of the other Andy Hardy films except for the ones that Judy's in and I don't even really remember Andy Hardy meets debutante it's been a long time since I've watched that and life begins I just hate it so um I I guess I would have to agree (laughs) love finds is uh yeah I would say so Mm
1: -hmm. I think it moves along a bit quicker than the others, except for that scene with the radio. And I find a lot of, I know the man to man talks with Judge Hardy were a vital part of it and the audience loved it, but I get um, Strike Up the Vans kind of vibes. Um, yeah. I think it can be a bit tedious at times. Um, often the scenes in the courtroom, because they're never really proper crimes, you know, like we have today. <laughs> they a bit they can be a bit tedious and most of them aren't musicals and you don't always have a Judy you know so carry them along but so I can see it being the best and it was actually um it was inducted into in 2000 was it it was in the 90s it was one of Judy's 14 top 10 rental champions on video and it was inducted into some hall of fame um, for historical importance and preservation for how it yes. represented, you know, how it represented, you know, the American way of life at the time.
4: That's just sad. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Which was not a bit like that in the 1930s in real life. But you know, I highly doubt this film would be recognised in that way if it didn't have Judy in it. No,
2: oh, not a hope.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Say what you really think, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> More about you, Ellie. What do you think about it, you know, legacy and
3: uh, no, I, I agree. I was looking through um some of the reviews and, like letterbox for it and everyone's either watching it because Judy and Lana are in it, or they're saying the best thing about it was Judy, everything else is crap. So
4: mm-hmm.
3: yeah, I do I do think the fact that Judy was in it and Gave a really good performance,
4: has, has
1: helped yeah. the film survive. Definitely. There's
4: a huge chunk of people that would have never seen it had Judy not been in it, so.
5: Mm.
4: Including
1: all of us, probably. Exactly. <laughs> I've got, um, let me get, I've took some reviews from when it was released, as always. So, Modern Screen said, um, you won't want to miss this Hardy family picture Judy Garland almost steals the honors from Mickey with her excellent characterization. I wouldn't say almost steals, I'd say she did steal. Yeah.
5: Um,
1: these are from again these are from legendary film career. Um, Chicago Tribune said Judy Garland is a wow as Betsy. She sings too and how. And the Tacoma Times The Hardy family presents the most amusing and entertaining picture. A story so genuine, so natural, that one feels the Hardys must be next door (laughs) neighbours. Judy Garland is a decided asset in any picture in which she appears. And her work with the Hardy crew is commendable. But that brings us full circle. So before we end, does anyone have anything else to say in general about this film?
4: I just want to say something um, that I found quite interesting in a ha kind of way. Uh, this film was nominated for, in 2002, for AFI's top 100 love stories, <laughs> 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 apparently. <laughs> I don't think it made it, but it was nominated for it. Now, I let that sink in. thinking. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder why it didn't make it. Um,
3: watch it like, there isn't a single love story element in there really I know <laughs> I mean I don't think Polly ending up back with Andy Hardy is a happy ever after hyper
1: yeah because <laughs> no. we all know as well if you watch the rest of the series don't end up together in the end anyway he marries someone else mm. spoiler alert <laughs> <laughs> um, no so anyway Anything else you want to add about your feelings about it? Apart from the fact that it's it's easy to watch, isn't it?
2: It is, it It definitely is an easy watch. And like in one way, it's incredible that we're inching ever closer to us at this point. You know, like Betsy, uh, Pinky and then Dorothy. Yeah.
4: I can't wait to get to listen, darling. I love that movie so much. I
2: love that as well. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay. So this is probably, we might be doing some kinds of Christmas podcast, mightn't we? Yeah. Um, Maybe just watch this space. But if not, um, this is probably going to be our last one on a particular subject until the new year we will have a top 10 and some Judy gems coming in the meantime so um just like want to thank you all for this year for, like subscribing and everything and it's like you know it's been one of the highlights of this year hasn't it
4: it Absolutely. really has um, it yeah.
1: has. <laughs> um, so have a lovely christmas and a new year if we don't see you before as always thanks for watching and like and subscribe oh and ring that bell. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah, and uh, thanks to so Ellie for joining us on this thank one. Thank you,
4: yes, thank you. We hope to have you on again very soon. <laughs> I'd love to. It was really fun.
1: Okay, so thank you. Bye.
2: Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thank
6: you.
5: Bye, me. to explain.
6: You're the apex, you're the zenith, you're colossal, you're terrific, you're too lovely. I could say, your te amo, ich liebe dich, je vous aime, but whatever I say, it all means the same. So with your kind permission, I will go on with my song, for now I know that you are
5: Oh.